Hi everybody, listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Matt. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FedLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a wigger, and Maya, that's me, is a bottom, and we're rope partners who've been practicing together for around five years. We live in Bangkok, and we love to share our passion for rope with you and the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of kink classes, mostly centered around rope, and things you can do to complement your rope, and you can follow along with it wherever you have an internet connection. You can attend the class live or view it recorded at your convenience. Check them out on frictionlive.ca. Maya, today is a special day. It is a special day. Why is that, Fox? We have made 100 podcast episodes well, of the Rope Podcast. bonkers. It, it is, isn't it? Yes. So we started on this journey, what, in 2017? Is that right? That's right, 2017. And we have put out an episode every two weeks since... That is amazing. I remember when we started this adventure together, Maya, I think I told you, well, if we can get 50 or 60 people to listen to the episodes, then it's worth doing. Yeah, and I think we've had a few more than that, it turns out. Yeah, we have. We have uh, several thousand, in fact, uh, listening to each episode. And we would like to take this opportunity to thank every single one of our listeners very much as well as our patrons who go to our Patreon page and support us with money every month so we can keep this podcast going. Exactly. It is true that when we started, I thought we'd run out of topics really quickly. So I am a bit befuddled that we've managed 100 episodes and have a wall of... We have a nice backlog of future topics. So I don't think we're going to run out of material anytime soon. Turns out we really like rope. I think we do. And there's so much to talk about in rope. Um, and that works well for today, because what is today's episode, Fox? So, Maya, as a thank you to our patrons, who are the people who most make this show possible, we wanted to let them decide what they wanted to hear for the 100th episode. And what they said is that they would like us to interview each other. Yeah, which is uh, a bit uh, strange for me, but I think we can do it, no problem. I think that's interesting because usually when we conduct an interview, obviously it's all about the other person and that is how it should be. But today we're going to talk about ourselves, I guess. Yeah, so we've created some questions for each other, um, as well as we asked for listener questions from the Patreon and others. And we have a few of those in there too. So the first part will be you interviewing me, is that right? Yeah, I look forward to that, Maya. And then I'm going to make you sweat. Yeah, well, I'm already tense about it. And then I'm going to interview you, which is much more comfortable ground for me. And we're Mm -hmm. going to talk about how rope fits in our lives and our rope practice. Awesome. Let's get started. Maya lives in Bangkok and Maya is a piker who loves rope very much. (laughs) People don't know what a piker is. A piker is like a small animal. It's kind of like a rabbit. It's like a very close cousin to the rabbit or the bunny. And if you ever see Maya in real life, you will immediately see that she's a pika. Pikas are animals that have an extremely expressive face. They can't really hide their emotions at all. Their emotions are painted all over their face. (laughs) Uh, And they're very furry and cute and you just want to cuddle them and pet them. And yeah, that is basically Maya's bio in a nutshell. 
Um, let's a get started. Pika. A rogue pika. I see. So Maya, how did you find out you're interested in rogue bondage in the first place? Uh, so like many people, um, I read uh, various erotica when I was a teenager and I was attracted to stories of restraint mm-hmm. um, and power exchange. Any authors or series in particular? Um, I read uh, the Anne Rice ones mm-hmm. um, and a host of a host of other ones. The story of O. So Anne Rice is Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty. She writes as someone Rock Claire or something like that. She writes under a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Um, but a number of uh, erotica, and that was a time when listeners, you have to bear with me, there was no internet in the same way there is now. So I read mostly books, Hmm. which I happily ordered from Amazon because that did exist just about. Um, And I also bought some from bookshops, which was um, a thing, going into a bookshop and buying uh, erotica, not my local bookshop. Yeah, did you get strange reactions when you went into the bookshop Uh, to buy your I think it was good for my confidence to be able to do that and not be too traumatized, but it wasn't easy for me. Anyway, fast forward many, many years later, um, and I left the UK and came to Thailand, which is where I am now. Um, And I had a lot more time to uh, explore and um, understand myself better. And I met someone who had come from the kink community in the UK and she was really into rope. And we had a lot of very open discussions. Um, and essentially she persuaded me to go to my first munch. Sounds like a good friend to have. Yeah, which was in Chiang Mai. She unfortunately had left just before that, so she didn't come. Um, but yeah, it was in Chiang Mai. There were three people, me and two others. So it was not a big munch. But happily, the other two were into rope. And one of them was a reasonably... Um, well, quite experienced rigger, um, who's passed away now. And so we ended up having some rope events. And then after a little while, I came to this party in Bangkok and I met you. And then there we go. The rest is history. <laughs> Thank you, Maya. Maya, would you consider yourself a rope fetishist? What a complicated question. Thank you. What do you mean by fetishist? What do you mean by fetish? <laughs> well, you asked the question. Exactly. I'm the one who has the questions here. Yeah, well, you have to define your terms. All right. I would say, do you find rope as an item or as an activity sexually arousing in general? Um, so what I would say is maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love rope in all its forms. I love the restriction and the restraint of rope. Um, when I started doing rope um i pretty much only did sexual rope uh, and so i think it was more fetishy for me i've expanded my range a lot more by doing work with different people and i think now it's non-sexual as well as sexual rope mm-hmm. so and i don't always feel a rap like it sexually aroused in rope so i don't know whether it is a fetish I think that's an interesting and complicated topic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly um, a big part of my sexual life Mm -hmm. and I would miss it a lot if it wasn't there. And I enjoy sexy times more when there's restraint through rope. All right. What would you say more broadly that bottoming for rope does for you? Uh, Lots of different things. 
So uh, one of the things I love is the peace and quiet when I can let go in rope, um, which is hard for me. My brain is a busy, worrying little brain. Um, but sometimes when I'm being tired, uh, particularly when I'm lying down or I'm in a suspension where I, I don't have to actively bottom and I can let go and re- relax to the rope. Um, and I'm not dealing with huge amounts of pain. That's a slightly different feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a sense of peace and quiet, which is very beautiful. Um, there can also be catharsis in rope. So sometimes um, we will get to a point where I feel a bit defeated. Like there's nothing, there's nothing left I can do to kind of fight the pain. And sometimes that makes me cry and that can be a catharsis. And I always have the choice to safe word. Um, but that feels, that can feel like a bit of a defeat. Um, especially when I know I can take it just with pain. So it's an interesting feeling. Uh, sometimes I feel pretty and graceful. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I like, uh, stretching my legs and pointing my toes mm-hmm. and bending and you're very my back. Good at that. <laughs> Um, so there are some positions where I feel like pretty and graceful, um, and that feels nice and, and stretched out. Uh, I love sensuality and connection. So, um, the intimacy that can come with a really great rope scene. Uh, I like feeling looked after and small, um, and there's something around that. I like objectification and some humiliation that you can do in rope. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, mostly for me, being restrained is hot in some way. Um, there's a lot of sensuality. So I feel like. It seems like there's a lot for you. Yeah. In there. And I could, I could give more things for sure. But yeah, rope can do a lot for me. I can feel powerful even when I'm under someone else's control. Yeah. In terms of type of role play or style of rope what would you say is your favorite at the moment um also a challenging question i like um sensory deprivation where you can't move at all and your body is kind of played with um i really like ishinawa and cnc so using the rope in a like pain and control and rough body play and stretching um that's a favorite And I really like combining rope with kind of um, knife play and fear play, uh, again, with that restraint. Um, I, I mean, really, I like a lot of kinds of rope. But those are three of my favorites. That's lovely. Of all the ties you've done so far, which one would you call the most challenging? So that's a difficult question because I feel like so many of the ties that we do are really challenging. And it also links into how far we've come. So if I think about the first time we did a single Futo suspension, mm. um, I, I nearly died. Like it was agony. We could not do it for very long at all. And that was a combination of me being completely unprepared for all my weight on that part of my body and also a more early futo design in your system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more doable now because your futo is super um, secure and strong. And I also understand more about my body and how it's going to work. 
Um, it also depends what you consider challenging. Is it a physical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Very true. So physically, um, some of the suspended crabs we've done have been really tough. The face down crab, the suspended crab, um, they're tough because your body's already in a very difficult position with the leaning and your arms being tied to your, um, your limbs being tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having a suspension stretched out like that, I find quite tough. Um, the two back bends we did with our friend with the bamboo, with her above and me below were very tough for me. So she was, um, she is a circus aerialist and she can do the splits and, uh, back bends that are amazing. And she was doing amazing things on top of the bamboo. And I was trying to do some, uh, back bends on the bottom of the bamboo. <laughs> And I think there's an element of trying not to let the scene, the play down using my body. And so that was pretty tough. Mm. Emotionally, um, I would say that, do you remember when we went to the forest at night? I do. <laughs> and it was pitch black and we were in the middle of a forest in the middle of the countryside in Thailand Uh there were insects and animals everywhere and I have a bit of an insect phobia and we did um, a twist um, against a tree mm-hmm. and I was terrified that ants were going to eat me. So that was quite frightening. Okay. Um, then we've done a couple of upside down agouras, which I found really hard mm-hmm. um, at the beach, I think, and my 200th, I think, was a um, upside down a girl, which I found very difficult. And then there was also a scene where we did at a party, which was knife play, cutting cloth off my body. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece around exposing my body, which I found really difficult and humiliating. Um, and I find that emotionally, that was one of the toughest scenes I've done. So there's a million. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing them with us. <laughs> Maya, have you ever had a rope-related injury? Yes, I've had quite a few rope-related injuries. Um, I've had a ton of um, blisters. Uh, we live in a hot country, and when the rope rubs or you do a lot of movement, sometimes you get blisters. Mm. I've had quite a few burns. In fact, you have one on your chest right now. I have two, yeah. actually. Yeah, I have one on my oh, arm on as arm. well. Also yeah. very cute. Um, including... Um, Oh, quite a bad one on my leg from a CNC rope thing that we did, uh, which I still have a scar from, which I don't hate. So the burns and the blisters and those are maybe a bit annoying at sometimes, but I actually don't mind them at all. The more problematic injuries have mostly been related to my hands, I mm. think. Um, so from reasonably early on, I've had some, uh, handcuff type injuries where rope has pressed on some of the nerves in my wrists and I've had some deadening of the sensory nerves in the bottom of my thumbs. And that's happened. Yeah. Uh, Also called handcuff syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has um, been on and off. Like I've had that quite a few times. The one that I find most problematic is um, some ongoing pain in the back of my hand below my uh, longest middle finger, finger, middle finger, um, where particularly in the left hand, but sometimes in the right hand as well, I have like pain basically, um, 
kind of a burning pain when you touch the skin. And that um, is there a lot of the time. Like, I'm not sure that's going to go. So I think it's really important for rope bottoms to understand that injuries are potentially part of the deal in rope play. And if you play for a long time and if you um, play intensely and if you play a lot, you are likely to get um some kind of injury and it's not about your rope top being a bad rope top it's not about your rope top being terrible it's about rope is dangerous bodies are different um and it's hard to avoid them Hmm. i think those are some very wise words maya what evolution have you seen in the past five years of being tied so is that about me being tied Mm -hmm. okay um so i've come a long way personally in my ability to do rope, I think, uh, to hold positions, to be braver, to do different positions. I think my stamina in holding suspensions is reasonable. Um, I think it's more than reasonable, actually. Okay. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to know, but I think I tend to hold positions quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we have invested a lot of our time in rope education. Uh, we watch a lot of online classes, we read, we talk about rope all the time, clearly. Literally. We've done a hundred episodes of this, but we also do this outside the podcast a lot. Mm-hmm. We watch a lot of rope performances and we talk about those and understand them. Um, and also I feel like we've learned or I've learned a lot from the interviews that we've done on the podcast because uh, they give us exposure to people we might not have in our local community, which is obviously much smaller um, and less uh, mature as a kink community. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I've also developed, I think, in terms of my managing my chronic pain in rope, okay. um, which is something that is a challenge. When we started, I was very anti any kind of pain, I think, when we, you and I started mm, yes. to play. In fact, I think I had it in my limits, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, around pain um i wasn't comfortable us pushing pain too much at all but now i don't have with you anyway any limits around pain apart from my safe words if i need them so that has been something that's definitely evolved as i've bottomed more and right now i'm really focusing on um my body and having a healthy body that can do what i want in rope um, so I just had surgery, as some um, listeners will know, um, or surgery a few months ago. And my body is developing from that. Um, and so that's given me a new focus on having a healthy body that can do what I want it to do. So not about what it looks like or anything like that, but just physically is able to do rope in the way that um, gives me joy. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. 
go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. All right. So thank goodness that's over. <laughs> you survived. Yep. Now um, it's time for me to interview Fox, which I'm much more comfortable with. I'm ready for you. All right. So Fox is a rigger based in Bangkok. Shockingly. Co-host of the Rock Podcast for the last four and a half years. He's consensually non-monogamous and in a 24-7 DS relationship with his adorable submissive and co-host of the podcast, Maya. He does rope three to six times a week and due to his location in Thailand, most of his learning has had to be online or progress through his engineering background. He's passionate about rope and has a Kaizen mentality to the topic. He speaks English, French, and Thai, and localized Clover's rope bottoming guide into the Thai language. So, Fox, welcome to the podcast that we run. Thank you, Maya. It's always <laughs> been a dream of mine to be on this podcast. <laughs> so, tell us how you got into rope. All right. I got into rope because I was in a relationship with a lovely woman who loved rope very much. And at that time, I wasn't able to provide that for her. I didn't know anything about rope bondage, really. And I had this preconceived notion that it wasn't for me. That it was going to be really difficult, really complicated, that you needed a lot of dexterity. And yeah, that it wasn't right for me. I had been practicing bondage for a long time in my personal life, but I always used cuffs or zip ties or chains. Yeah, you're a big cable tie person. I used a lot of cable ties in some uh, creative fashions, mm. but I thought rope was too fussy for me and, and I wouldn't like it and I wouldn't be good at it. So I resisted trying rope bondage for the better part of 10 years. Yeah, because you were very experienced in kink, right? Mm -hmm. I've been I've been in kink for, for more than 15 years by, by that point, I think. Uh, and so what I did is I arranged rope dates for my partners so that she could get her rope itch scratched by other people. Uh, and in particular, there was this one guy in Thailand whose name was Rigor Mortis, who in fact is the same person. Is the same person, person yeah. <laughs> so weirdly, or maybe not weirdly given our small uh, community, even though we were in different cities in Thailand, we both had connection with that person. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Rigor Mortis taught a few very basic rope workshops in Chiang Mai, and I happened to be in Chiang Mai at that time. And I went there with a common friend of ours at the time, and I did some rope bondage for the first time. And I was shocked that I could actually do it. And it turns out, uh, not only could I do it, but Apparently, using my engineering background, as you mentioned, I could do it pretty well. Like the persons were not able to get out of the rope that I tied. And I found it much easier than what I had expected. I think it was hugely helpful to me that Mortis had a very pragmatic and Western approach uh, to rope bondage. And if I had tried it with someone of a very strict Japanese school, who tells you that you have to practice the single column for three years before it will teach you anything else, probably I wouldn't have liked it. And why? Why is that? Uh, well, I'm not very patient. <laughs> no shit. I don't really like taking orders from anyone. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I have tried Asian martial arts a little bit when I was a child and that very strict and structured and you have to do the belt in order and so on. That, that never really seduced me. 
And when I moved to Western fighting sports, which were much more loosely structured, I enjoyed that a lot more. And how does it fit with your other kinks? Because as you say, you were kinky for a long time before then, and then you introduced rope bondage. What happened? I don't really find rope in itself arousing, but I really like immobilizing a partner and taking control. And so it's basically a better way of restraining people from me because I find rope bondage extremely versatile. You can do so much with it. It's really easy to carry rope around in your backpack, much easier than a whole set of like chains and cuffs and this and that. It's very inconspicuous. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a really great tool for immobilizing someone and positioning them. And those are things I enjoy very much. Okay, so that's some of the reasons as well why you do rope. What other, um, if it's not something that particularly sexually arouses you in itself, what other reasons do you do rope? What's important to you in doing it? I really enjoy expressing creativity through rope. So inventing positions. I like mixing it with photography, producing images. And... Also, just the act of tying rope relaxes me. I can get in a flow state really easily from rigging. And yeah, it's just a super relaxing, super enjoyable activity for me to tie someone up. Okay. Now, I know that you have a rope system. I thought this might be of interest to listeners. So how does a tie um, get accepted into your rope system? And what is your rope system? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that second question first. So my rope system is... A selection of ties that I use and those ties have to pass certain criteria to be accepted into the system and usually I will have only one or two ties of the same type within the system at the same time. So you don't have like 10 single columns? I don't have 10 single columns. I have one way of tying a single column. I have one way of tying a double column tie. I have two different chest harnesses because they have slightly different properties and depending on the person I'm tying, one might work better than the other. So there's some adaptation to the partner. Uh, but I want to choose the tie that works for me and usually modify it to my liking. I usually start by taking inspiration from a pattern that I see somewhere and then I modify it to my liking and to fit my style better. And then I try to always tie that one thing in the same way all the time. Okay. So when you're using these ties, how do you plan your scenes? In order to plan my scenes, I am usually quite a visual person. So I will have an image in my head or I will draw a schematic of, of the position, the suspension, for instance, I want to arrive at. And what I tend to do is plan my beginning and then be more flexible about what develops from there. Uh, I find it more pleasant and less anxiety-provoking to know what my first step is. So, okay, this scene is going to start with an agura, and my goal is for the person to go in a vertical suspension, let's say. And so I know what I'm going to start with. I'm going to start by tying that agura, and then I'm leaning towards that vertical suspension, but I leave myself some flexibility in how the vertical suspension is going to work out exactly. And I think it's important to work out flexibility. I think if your plan is too rigid, your chances of A, being successful, and B, having a good time are lesser. 
So give us an example of something recent where you've where you've done that. So like you've had something in mind and then what happened? I think a big part of it is adapting to the reaction of the person you are tying. Last week, I was tying someone and I had a suspension in mind. And when she arrived, she was not feeling great emotionally and physically. She'd had a rough week for a variety of reasons that are personal to her. And so I decided to keep the same base tie, but make it a floor tie rather than a suspension because... It didn't seem to me like she was looking for a challenging hard tie. She was more looking for something relaxing and for something she could easily feel successful in. So I took the same shape. I took the same body position, uh, which was um, a face of Ahura. And instead of suspending it fully, I just let her lay on her back on the floor and anchored uh, the Ahura to my suspension point. So that leads nicely onto my next question. Lovely. So, Fox, you tie quite a few people. Um, it's all related. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, I'm not like Yukimura Haruki, who tied probably two to three thousand models in his You career. tie quite a lot of people, and you tie often. So, um, how has tying with lots of people helped your rope practice to evolve? I think it was really useful for me to get the perspective that different people seek different things in rope. And by tying with a variety of people, I could really see that. And I like talking to my uh, rope bottom and asking them, what are they looking for? What are they feeling when they get tied? What do they like about rope? And it's really interesting that the answers are always different. So that is one big part of it, Uh, as well as bodies, the physical bodies of people are very different and trying to gain a better understanding of what tends to be common to all people versus what is specific to one person versus another. I find fascinating and essentially learning the body of a partner and how it works and what is successful with it and what is fun is something I find super interesting. I think also as a rigger, it's very helpful to develop a range when you can tie very different people. I don't want to be a one-trick pony. And I think it's easy to become very good at one thing, but I would like to be good at many things. So that's what range means to you? Just just explain range a bit more in rope. I would like to be able to do different styles of tying in terms of speed, in terms of intent, in terms of nature of the scene. I want to do sadistic rope, I want to do cuddly rope, I want to do fun rope, I want to do challenging rope, I want to do relaxing rope, I want to do all the ropes. Okay, so I feel like this is a very similar echo to my uh, what are the things that you like about bottoming Mm -hmm. in rope and your what are the (laughs) things that you like topping in rope, which is like all the things. Yeah, we we like all the rope, (laughs) Let's, let's be clear. So how have you learned from and with Maya... Uh, to be better rope partners since the start of the podcast? Well, in a very um, just the two of us kind of perspective, I think we have learned together what our strengths and weaknesses are. And we have just found ourselves more through rope together because, let's face it, most of the rope we've done has been with each other. Uh, And yeah, it's been a process of exploration that's been really interesting Uh, As your top, I think I have learned to read you better and I have gained a better understanding of how far I can push you in things. So that has been also very interesting. 
And then thanks to the podcast on a different scale, I think I've been exposed to more and more ways of doing rope, all of which are valid and gaining all those perspectives and having the privilege of talking in depth to many excellent rope bottoms and riggers has really enriched my rope life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine too, for sure. So finally, uh, what has been your favorite episode of the podcast and why? My favorite episodes, because it's actually two of them, of the podcast <laughs> is the mini-series we did about Ichinawa, ah, or One Rope really. Techniques. And the reason why it's my favorite is because we did so much research. Like, I had to convince you to finally record that episode yeah, because was... we kept finding more sources and talking to people behind the scenes. And it felt a bit like investigative journalism. <laughs> yeah. And that questing was really fun for me. In fact, we kind of discovered who coined the term in the first place. And I invite listeners who are curious <laughs> to go listen to those two episodes if they want to know. And it was really fun to find out things like the fact that despite it being called Ichinawa, which is a Japanese portmanteau, is not actually practiced in Japan very much and mm. is mostly done in other countries. So yeah, that, that, the amount of work that went into those two episodes and those are little gems of discoveries we had along the way were very fun for me. Mm, mm, super. Well, thank you very much, Fox, for being an interviewee on the Rope Podcast. Thank you, Maya. <laughs> and that will be all from us today at the Rope Podcast. Thank goodness. So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and come friend us on our FetLife page and our Instagram, which are both Rope Podcasts with no space. All right. And if you have a question related to Rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or on Instagram, which is Rope Podcast. <laughs> if you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page for yet another 100 episodes. Yay! Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.